0: Welcome to Good Bones, a podcast about living and dying well, with Mallory Baudois and Vanessa Irena. You don't need hierarchy to create a spiritual movement, it turns out. And we certainly don't need lots of rules. We don't even need a church. All we need is a rosary, a room to meet in, or a tree to sit under and a group of spiritual friends.
1: Hey, everyone. It's Mallory from Good Bones. And I just wanted to take a moment to thank every single one of you who has become a patron of Good Bones on Patreon. It really means the world to us to have your support. As a reminder, season one of Good Bones will last six episodes and will air until the end of March, but we will be posting new content to the Patreon, including our monthly bonus segment and our monthly Q&A, as well as any other crazy stuff that Vanessa and I get up to. So we do hope that you'll join us there for all of the extra content and for the community.
0: Welcome to this edition of The Practice. Uh, We decided since it's almost spring, we were going to be talking a little bit about the idea of spiritual cleansing or um, spring cleaning, essentially.
1: Yeah. In recent years, this has become basically the backbone of my spiritual practice. Oh, same. 100%. Were you always a clean person?
0: Um, I've always been a clean person. I've been a, like, I feel like there's a big difference between being messy and being dirty. And I, so I've always been a clean person. I have not always been a tidy person. Interesting. If that makes
1: sense. And how do you think, what do you think the difference is between the two magically?
0: Um, I feel like, uh, one of them, well, I I feel like, um, you know, dirtiness is more about like, uh, physical dirt and clutter and stuff like that is more about like kind of like miasma and that sort of thing you know what I mean oh interesting yeah I don't I don't really know I I I honestly haven't thought this thought this through so I feel like don't don't quote me on that but um I, I think just like from on a physical level I see dirty as like you know leaving food out or like not showering or stuff like that whereas messy is like you leave clothes on the floor or like yeah. you have your stuff out of place or, you know, um, just things aren't put away, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. I think
1: the the difference between the two for me is like dirt always happens. It's a natural byproduct of life. And consequently to me, it is more uh, more aligned with the concept of miasma.
0: Okay. Which... Yeah. I think you're right, honestly. I, so I'm going to go ahead and take back what I said and go with you on that
1: well thank you yeah I'm really glad I'm really
0: glad that we were able to yeah we peace. aligned we, we buried the hatchet there. <laughs> right um
1: and so so consequently dirt is just this like and miasma to me also one thing that I do really want to set the record straight about it is it's not like evil but it doesn't belong not great, in though. a dwelling place yeah and like you know I have a lot of respect for, you know, the spirits of the trash. Yeah. Of the spirits of the sewers. The cemetery. Of the spirits of the cemetery. Of the spirits of the dump. Um, like, mad respect for them. Totally. A lot of them are healers. And, you know, they're- Shout they're, out to raccoons. Shout out to raccoons. And opossums. Yeah, totally. Opossums are having a moment- they are. Right now. They culturally, really are. and they deserve it. They deserve because it. Because they've been eating ticks for a really long time- and, you know, they just deserve all the good that's they do. coming to them they do. right now. They really do. Um, nevertheless, though, there are certain spirits that I don't necessarily want to live with. Exactly. <laughs> and um, and that's kind of the difference for me is like miasma is a natural byproduct of life. Uh, but it's not something that I want to be
0: like wallowing in all the time. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like miasma gets like kind of trapped though in clutter is I think that's kind of what I why why I initially made that association. You know, I feel like um when when your place is cluttered, that sort of energy can you know, energy isn't as free flowing and so miasma can get sort of like trapped in places of clutter. Absolutely. I mean,
1: like, just think about when you have more stuff that isn't moving around regularly, dust accumulates on it. And Mm -hmm. dust is
0: literally dead skin cells. It's, you know, dead you. Totally. Um, And so... Well, that's really, like, can we stop for a minute and, like, just reaffirm that? That's really, like, a really good point. Uh, You know, dirt and dust is basically the old you. (laughs) Exactly. Literally. It's, It's the part of you that has died and fallen away
1: And uh, that's part of the reason why it's important to to take care of it is,
0: um, you know, the living you needs space to thrive. Totally. And um, I feel like, you know, spiritual cleansing is uh, a really, really important practice and it it should be the the backbone, I think, of anyone that has a magical or a spiritual life. And I'm just going to go ahead and make a controversial statement here, which is that which is that I believe that f- spiritual cleansing is about like 80 to 90% actually cleaning, like just cleaning. Okay. So I'm now confused. Yeah. Why is that controversial? What's
1: the
2: other Well, side I
0: it? feel like, um, you know, uh, I feel like people have this idea that you can, you know, your life and your house can be just like a total wreck and you can just like, wave a sage around or something, it's going to like fix, fix the problem. Uh, you can't sage a turd and you, you know, you really, um, if you, you know, I feel like, um, you know, the state of your home is very much a reflection of the state of your life. It's an extension of your own body and it is, uh, you know, and it, it, it's an extension of, I feel like your ancestor altar in a way too, if that, if you're someone that has an ancestor practice. And so I feel like um if your, your state, if your house and your home and your, your environment is in disarray, it's very likely that your, your spirit is also in disarray and your mental, like your mind is also in disarray. And so um, I feel like, uh, you know, I know that a lot of people will say like, oh, well, you can't just do magic and and ignore the mundane or whatever. But I feel like um, that kind of gets tossed around and people don't actually follow through with it. Yeah, because chores are boring and mom does them. exactly. And so I feel like, um, you know, uh, people will get really excited about doing things that seem magical, like doing spells. But, you know, mopping the floor is not, is not glamorous. It doesn't make for a good Instagram photo, um, that sort of thing. And also a lot of this stuff is done in private, you know, I mean, a spiritual bath is a very private experience, you know? And so, um, I think that people just don't really like think about it that way. And, and so they focus on doing spells and ban and banishings and that sort of thing without, you know, uh, paying attention to like the physical dirt and, and the physical clutter. In their space, and it's like if you're not doing both, then it's not going to be effective, no matter what you're doing on on a magical level.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I also feel like another layer to it for me is um, the fact that as magical people, we're constantly processing so much data all the time mm-hmm. from like the physical world, the metaphysical world, like energetic visions of the future, ecstasies, et cetera, et cetera. And so if there's like a bunch of clutter around, even if the space is really clean, it's like my brain is just fried. You know, I I, I, I have a rule in my home, which is like, if something is visible, it's because I want it to be on my mind and everything else needs to be stored away. So I don't have bookshelves that are exposed. Mm -hmm. I only, I keep my books in a cabinet And then I bring out and keep out the ones that I am currently like actively reading or working with. Mm -hmm. And that helps me to remain focused because, you know, you go through these different kind of mental states throughout the day, um, you know, as as your biochemistry is changing, as the solar cycle and the lunar cycle are affecting you. And so even if you're really focused in one moment, that doesn't mean that you're gonna be super focused in the next. Mm -hmm. And you, I think, need to, for me at least, it is very important to configure the physical space so it is constantly reflecting back to my unconscious and conscious minds uh, what it is that I do want to be focused on. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, if there is a tension, a conflict between what I want to think about and what my space is telling me to think about, space wins every time matter wins
0: every time yeah absolutely I feel like um you know uh you you I feel like you see you know this happen all the time just in you know uh in in magical groups and dialogues and stuff like that and it's just like you'll see someone and they're like oh you know I'm doing all these spells and like I can't get a girlfriend or whatever and it's just like well have you tried like taking a shower you know what I mean? Or like that sort of thing. And, and so people um, just like sort of hyper-focus on the things that they can't control or that seem more exciting without focusing on the things that would essentially make the most difference, I guess. Um, and then also, uh, I feel like uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a part of this that relates back to um, a discussion we had in an earlier episode about uh, stuff and having stuff. And um, there was a time when I first, you know, got interested in spirituality and I kind of would like hoard magical supplies. And, um, you know, once I got to a place of sort of reassessing that and realizing that that wasn't something that aligned with my values, I realized that like all of those supplies were one, wasteful, but also like they were just like stored magical potential that I wasn't using. And so that was just taking up so much space in my mind, in my home, in my like spiritual psyche or whatever. And once I finally let that stuff go, I feel like my life became so much more magical because I freed up that energy for the stuff that I was actually focusing on instead of just like having stuff in the closet or whatever, you know? Yeah.
1: And then the things that are left behind after you do something like... Uh, the KonMari method, for mm-hmm. example, now you're reminded of what you actually had, yeah, and you use it more often. Totally. So, Vanessa, what are some of your favorite magical cleansing practices today?
0: Um, I. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just because I have a lot of Mars in my chart, but I like water is just the, the most like sort of cleansing and healing thing for me in general. So baths and floor washes are my sort of number one thing. Um, I take a bath almost every day. But, um, you know, there's so many ways that you can use humble (laughs) breath. I know, right? But I mean, in addition to, yeah, like I take, you know, I take baths all the time because they're so peaceful and calming to me. Um, There's a lot of just really simple, easy baths that you can do, um, you know, like you can add salt to your bath or you can add a little bit of apple cider vinegar or that sort of thing as a simple cleansing. Um, There's other types of baths you can do. Like, for example, if you would like to remove the evil eye, you can take a bath uh, and add a bottle of beer to your bath. Um, and that's, you know, a good practice, um, Uh, One of my favorite books on spiritual cleansing is uh, actually just called Spiritual Cleansing by Draja Mikaharik. So that's um, a good one that I would recommend to anyone because it's a really simple, straightforward book about spiritual cleansing that uses household objects and it doesn't require any prior magical knowledge or skill or anything like that. Um, It's really great. It's just a lot of different like folk magic ways of keeping your house clean. Um, I really like to, uh, I like to burn things. (laughs) So I'm sorry, what did you just say earlier about Mars and your Yeah, I do. I do like to burn things. So, you know, even just like having candles lit in the house can bring a lightness, a light energy into a space. Um, I like to burn incense. My favorite types of incense to burn are are woods. So I have some cedar incense, um, juniper wood. Uh, I really like to burn Palo Santo, that sort of thing. Um, It's important when you do burn things to make sure to keep the windows open so that you're letting that energy out of your space. Um, and then floor washes, I really like too. It's just, that's just where you will, you know, add some herbs, uh, and other ingredients to, um, water and you mop your house with it. And you will either mop your house from front to back if you're trying to draw something in and then in, 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 in terms of spiritual cleansing, you would most likely go from back to front because you're trying to remove an influence from your home. What about you? So I'm also, I'm a big fan of,
1: um, you know, I try to make sure that I'm keeping up with my dishes every day because I do think that that can be a source of, um, uh, you know, maybe not the best spirits, um, but also like just kind of like a mental, mental sort Mm -hmm. of block. Like I feel as though I'm not taking care of myself if I'm not keeping on top of the litter box and the dishes in the sink Yeah, totally. Um, I have a cat. Um, and the, the the thing that I try to do every two weeks, so a little bit less frequently than every day, is uh, just, like, maintaining the floors. So going in and sweeping them. Um, and that's also – it feels very magical to me when I sweep. One, because of the archetypical image of the witch on the broom. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, because it's, like, there's something, you know, very, very powerful to me about – the fact that I don't necessarily see this stuff, but I still feel it because I have very sensitive feet. Mm -hmm. And so I'm taking something which is kind of invisible because it's all scattered and then making it visible into a pile and then getting rid of that Mm -hmm. pile.
0: Yeah, totally. And,
1: um, and I think also just like brushing movements and motions are very magical. Like Mm -hmm. if you think about brushing your body or brushing your hair it's sort of like your you feel something happening with your aura when that happens, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's like the same thing for my house too. Like yeah. I think
0: I think houses like to be swept. Totally, no, I agree. I think that yeah, houses just like to be cared for in general. And like one of the things that I that we both loved about the KonMari book so much was that the house, you know, is treated in a very animist way. It's treated as its own, you know, being with its own agency that cares for you and is taken for granted. And so just like showing that kind of love and attention to your house is really powerful. Um, And then I also, um, another like thing is that I try to sort of have some kind of like rules uh, for myself that allow me to keep my house in a state that um, feels good to me and that I try to adhere to. Like, So for example, I make my bed every morning when I get out of bed. And another rule that I have is that I never leave clothes on the floor. Um, And then another one that I have is I try to never leave dishes in the sink overnight. I mean, that one doesn't always happen. I'm just, you know, being honest, but just certain little things like that, that I really try to keep that as a promise to myself. Like one that helps me um, with my own sort of self-worth and self-confidence, but also it's just um, a general level of respect and care that I'm giving to my home and to myself.
1: Yeah. I always like to think about how like what? What's the point of house spirits really, and when are we interacting with them mm-hmm. actively? Um, because on the one hand, a house spirit you probably if you're if you're looking for a girlfriend, you're probably not going to petition your house spirit for that, because like your house spirit is not going to be out there meeting eligible yeah. ladies <laughs> uh, for you. But nevertheless, once you find. Her and bring Unless her home. Your
0: soulmate lives in your building and you just don't know it Whoa. yet. Oh, oh, that's a good point. But, but I yeah. stand corrected. But, but but in general, I agree with what you're saying. But yeah, once
1: you once you find her and bring her home, if she doesn't get along with those spirits, she's not coming back. Yeah. You know, she's she's gonna feel like the vibes are off. She'll probably assume that it's you. Mm-hmm. And so um it's really important to you know maintain those relationships because they have ramifications for other parts of our lives that we don't necessarily under uh like think of right off the bat like mm-hmm. your success at work depends in part on how well you slept the night before Totally. Um you know your relationships depend friendships, romantic relationships and so on and so forth depend on whether people feel
0: comfortable in you. Yeah, mom. I mean if you have like a bunch of like rowdy sagana spirits like living in your bedroom then Maybe that's not the best for like being a high power CEO or something like that, or maybe it is. Who knows? Who knows? You know. But um, but yeah, and and also, um, honestly, uh, beyond the spiritual cleansing, I would say another just really, uh, uh, you know, powerful, uh, baseline form of spiritual cleansing that. Uh, you know, probably seems obvious because we talk about this all time all the time is having an ancestor altar in your home, yeah, you know, because your ancestors can act as gatekeepers for people and for energies and for other spirits as well, exactly. Um,
1: and I always with with ancestors in particular, like, That relationship exists much like the relationship that we have with our house spirits, regardless of whether we're aware of it or not, regardless of whether we're working on it or not. And so I think it is important to take what is already affecting us unconsciously and to make it conscious and deliberate and to set aside some space for it so that uh, we have the ability to interact with it in a way which is a little bit more deliberate and well-considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And when I'm cleaning the house, like for me, this uh, roughly every two weeks ritual of like sweeping the floors, doing the floor wash, and, uh, you know, all of the other like kind of more intensive, um, intensive cleaning tasks, like usually by the end of it, like – I'm a mess, you yeah, know, physically and emotionally, especially, especially anything with the floors sweeping and, um, and floor washes for whatever reason becomes very emotional for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because, uh, of the fact that like the ground really is our relationship with the earth and our ancestors. And if there's, you know, stuff that we have to, through the act of this devotion, mm-hmm. we are kind of like, perfecting that and like mm-hmm. clearing away things that might be getting in, in the way of it. So it can be very emotional. Um, and so afterwards, once I've been cleaning my house, I always like to take a quick spiritual bath for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now my favorite is super simple. Anyone can do this. Everyone should, I believe. I got it from, um, Luz Astral on mm-hmm. Instagram, who is a, uh, curandera and it's, she's awesome we're she's gonna link great. her page uh, so you can follow her yeah definitely follow her um, and it is sea salt and Florida water in mostly just regular water so what I like to do is get uh, one of those like big big met- light metal uh, mixing bowls and I have one that's just for doing spiritual baths because it does get kind of perfumey over, over the months Um, and I'll just put like a little pinch of that sea salt and a little splash of Florida water. And then at the end, after I've taken my regular shower and done the like mundane cleaning, um, I will fill it with the shower water. So it's nice and you know, it's a a good temperature, a temperature that feels good for my body. And then I'll just do that as a pour over bath. That sounds so nice. It's so nice. It's so easy because after you've been cleaning your apartment all day, you probably don't want. Like, to have to, you know, brew a decoction of
0: 15 different woods and resins. (laughs) I also, I'm going to say something really quick that might get me in trouble, but Florida water costs $3. You do not need to buy artisanal Florida water. You... Do not have to spend twenty dollars from a fancy witch store to buy Florida water. It costs three dollars. You can get it at the Botanica, and it's the real deal. It's very inexpensive, and you don't need to spend a lot of money on it.
1: Yeah, and you you know if you don't have a Botanica near you, you can get it off of Amazon. Yeah, like it's you know it, it's not that hard to uh to come by on. The you can internet get these it. Days. Yeah, you can get it at the drugstore sometimes too. You know yeah. so. And also shout out to Sophia Sea Salt, to the cheapest sea salt from Sicily that I have been able to find yet. It's like a buck fifty for a box of it. I, I, they have it at my. I don't know if this is a local thing or what, but they have it at um, all the local grocery stores. Um, and personally, I really like using Sicilian sea salt because, like, I'm kind of from, you know, I'm from the Mediterranean region. Um, and uh, but you might want to play around with that, like using. Um, you know, particularly if you're, you know, that some of your ancestors are from the med or, uh, you know, somewhere else where there's salt produced, like looking for salt or olive oil from those regions. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, like I, that. I,
0: I use, I usually will order Celtic sea salt because most of my family were, um, you know, English and Scotch-Irish, uh, or my, on my mom's side anyway. And, you know, I, bathing is something that I associate sort of more as, as a feminine act. And so, um, that's why I choose to use that one.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, and for, for most people who live near the sea, like that's kind of a natural form of cleansing. Like I, have read that in a lot of, um, you know that we have like texts from ancient Greece that talk about cleansing rituals that people mm-hmm. would engage in and it's really you know it's stuff like go jump in the sea yeah
0: like there's a lot of um i feel like a, yeah it's a really cleansing to just like go to a body of water yeah know? and there's you know that's there's a long so that's there's that's a tradition in like just like so many different spiritual traditions it's just going to the water you know yeah and if you
1: can't go to the ocean um, then what a great way to bring the ocean of your ancestors to you. Totally. Um, if you if your ancestors did live by the sea, so that's you know one another kind of like layer of meaning that you can
0: add to it if you mm-hmm. want to. Yeah, totally. Um, I feel like yeah, those are kind of my. Oh, I also just wanted to uh, reco- uh, to to remind people that I know that certain people live in places where they can't. Um, you know, use smoke or that sort of thing. So um, another thing that you can use to sort of cleanse a space uh, is to just use a bell, like, you know, walk around to your apartment or your room or whatever and ring ring a bell like in the corners to just kind of shake up the energy. Stuff like, um, you know, uh, opening the windows even that sort of thing, like sort of let allowing the wind and the sun of the nature to kind of cleanse your space too, just letting fresh air in. Like I for me, even in the winter, like if I if I don't have my windows open, you know, here and there, like I feel like I get really, you know, I, I get claustrophobic almost if I'm not like letting some fresh air in. Yeah, and even if
1: you don't have a bell too, like you can just put on some music. Yeah, put on music. You can even, you know, if you've got Spotify, you can find like – you know the sounds of nature yeah (laughs) totally the sounds of meditation playlist and put that on Mm -hmm. if you want something that like sounds explicitly spiritual but all music to me is really spiritual so yeah same um honestly I think you can really put on any kind of sound and that's a really great way if you're doing it with prayer and good intentions that's a Mm -hmm. really good way to cleanse the space without burning
0: anything yeah um, also, Florida water can be made into a spray very easily. Like you can just add a little bit to a spray bottle of water and spray mm-hmm. it around your home. And that's a, a great cheap and easy way to, to sort of bring some energy, like some, some cleansing energy into a space as well.
1: So that's enough of our favorite practices and ideas about spring cleaning, spiritual cleansing in general. Uh, but we'd love to hear from you. What are your favorite easy spiritual baths Do you do floor washes? Are there other practices that we forgot to mention today that you think deserve a shout out? You can email us at goodbonespodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment on the Patreon page.
0: Welcome to the book club segment. Um, we're really excited about this segment. We've been waiting all season to do it, and it's going to be a discussion of the book The Way of the Rose by Clark Strand and Perdita Finn. Uh, just a spoiler warning, if you haven't read the book and you don't want spoilers, I would recommend skipping over the section and coming back to it after you've read the book. Or if you don't mind spoilers, um, I think that maybe the discussion of the book might make you more interested in reading it because um, I feel like it was a book that... Turned out to be way more than I was expecting just based on the description and the presentation. So, yeah. And to be
1: clear, we're calling this a book club segment, and we gave people the option to read the book while we were recording the podcast. But also, you didn't have to. You can still listen to this segment if you want to. Totally. We just had to read the book. Yeah. <laughs> So Vanessa, what did you think of The Way of the Rose?
0: It's so hard to like know where to begin because this book just sort of blew me away in so many ways. Um, When I first saw it, I feel like it popped up for me a bunch of times because I saw it in Amazon and like a bunch of other people had described it to me and stuff. And I was like, oh, that looks nice. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, a nice book about the divine feminine and the rosary. Like those are nice things that I like, you know, but it wasn't something that was like super – didn't seem super compelling to me. And then I read it and what I got was like the eco-feminist like manifesto that I didn't know I was looking for. And then a description of like a full-blown ongoing Marian apparition that exists like in the state I live in. And then also just like, um, this sort of like radical call for, uh, more sort of uh, socialist non-hierarchical forms of spirituality like just everything that is just like so my jam in every way and like i just remember you and me reading this book together and just like like uh, like aggressively just like sharing quotes with it with each other and being like oh my god oh my god you know so it just like i don't know i can't really overstate like how impactful and powerful this book was for me to be honest
1: I feel the exact same way. And I remember, you know, I, I first found it, like you, I it had like cropped up for me a couple of times in my recommendations. And I was like, okay, that looks interesting. It's It's in my wheelhouse, but I'm not sure that I really care enough to read it. Um, And then I remember I read the first couple pages and I was like, holy shit, I need Vanessa to read this too. And initially I almost bought it for you as a Christmas gift, (laughs) but then I was reading it and I was like, I can't wait for Christmas to come (laughs) for her to have access to this information because I need to talk to her about it right now. Um, And... We started reading it and it reminds me a lot of another book that came out, uh, I think in 2013, called Apocalyptic Witchcraft mm-hmm. by Peter Gray. Yeah. It has the same kind of like eco feminist vibe um, and uh, sounds, you know, in, in many ways very ideologically similar. Mm-hmm. And I got the same thing when I was reading this book that I did when I was reading Apocalyptic Witchcraft, you know, all those years ago, which was there were times where. I would be reading one paragraph and I knew what the next paragraph was going to say. Mm -hmm. And it was this weird, just kind of magical, magical experience of realizing like, wait, I already knew this. I just had forgotten it or couldn't remember it consciously for some reason. Um, But I know exactly what, what they're about to say next. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also, you know, when I was reading it, I was also just kind of like, really agog with the fact that they were able to get this book published. Yeah. Because in it, Clark Strand talks about the fact that he saw regularly a Marian apparition. Like, mm-hmm. you know. The, and still does. And still does. He transcribed some of her messages word for word. Yeah, which are incredible and so moving. And in a way, I, I think like the the imprint um, went out of business. Shortly after this book came out, wow. which I feel like <laughs> I feel like the Madonna just like took them out on yeah. her way.
0: <laughs> totally, yeah. I I think for me, um, it was so powerful because I feel like it spoke to so many things that I had come to on my own. So I had a similar experience to you, not a not in the same way of feeling like I knew what they were going to say, but that just. The, like that I was just on sort of a parallel journey because I feel like um, for me, the book sort of also just mirrored my spiritual journey in a lot of ways. Um, I, you know, came back to spirituality after sort of like leaving the Catholic church as a, you know, as a young person through uh, Buddhism and through yoga and through sort of more Eastern forms of spirituality. And then I became very disillusioned with those communities because, um, you know, so like I, it's felt like every single day New new information was coming to light, and new allegations of abuse, um, abuse of power, sexual abuse in those communities. And I was just finding more and more, you know, teachers that I had looked up to were part of these scandals and stuff like that. And and so I just had this feeling of like, you know what, like fuck gurus and like fuck this stuff and like fuck cults, you know. And so I discovered. Uh, I ended up kind of just leaving those spiritual communities and through witchcraft and through books like Apocalyptic Witchcraft, like discovering kind of like the religion of my own body. And um, that is a lot about what the book talks about, about how, you know, the body is, you know, is, is the, like mirrors the body of the earth and that that is, you know, the, the mother and stuff like that. And, um, there's actually a really good, uh, quote from the book that I want to read. That's about that. So, um, one second, please. <laughs> I would just, while you're looking that up, I just want to plus
1: one, all that. And I think it's, it's interesting to me, um it's really good to me to see that there are people now who are talking more and more both about the body and also about our ancestral traditions of catholicism and uh you know various other kind of uh pagan traditions that that aren't like what we thought paganism was mm-hmm. 10 20 years ago. Yeah. Um and even even I remember when apocalyptic witchcraft came out um it was controversial because it was too Christian for some people mm-hmm. um, and because it put too much of an emphasis on the body. So I'm really glad to see that the, the discourse
0: is shifting there. Yeah, totally. Um, so the quote is this, The Buddha wants nirvana, Moses wants no navel, but it, it adds up to the same thing, a desire to transcend the body and its troubles, a desire to be done with bodies, to be spirit only, mind only. But where does that leave us in the end? What if the body is our deliverance? Only a species that abandons the earth can destroy the earth. To return to the body is to return to the mother, to experience the body and its desires as natural. To know that its trajectory through infancy, childhood, adulthood, motherhood, and fatherhood, and yes, even sickness, old age, and death, these two are natural. How could they be wrong? In all of nature, there is not one thing to contradict them. Wow. Yeah, so, um, and, and so... And, and, you know, embodiment is something that Mallory and I talk about a lot. And um, one of the things that, um, you know, really struck me about this focus on the body with this book is that, you know, when I learned how to pray and when I learned how to, you know, talk to spirits and stuff like that, I always had this idea in my mind and like this question in my mind of like, well, do I have to pray out loud or do I have to, you um, to, can I just say it in my mind? And 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 will it be heard? Or is it the same thing? And people would always give me these sort of like wishy-washy answers like, well, if you pray out loud, then you're adding the element of air to it, which adds power. And like, that's that's a thing. Like, I'm not trying to like poo-poo that or whatever. But what I realized through this book is that by praying out loud, praying out loud is praying with the body. And that's why That's why you say the rosary out loud. And then also, uh, praying the rosary is praying with the body because you physically hold the beads in your hand. And so that part of the book was really, and that realization for me was really powerful to think about. You know, like how do you pray with your body as opposed to just your mind or whatever.
1: And I I love the connection that the author makes between holding a set of rosary beads and praying today and like what it was like, because children have a manipulation impulse. They reach out for things. They want to touch Mm -hmm. things. We all, you know, this is an important part of how our body expresses itself is through our desire to touch. And, you know, the first thing that we were touching was like grabbing our mother's finger Mm -hmm. or grabbing her breast. And like to, to make that connection between um, you know, the practice of holding a set of rosary beads and, uh, you know, praying on them and this primal impulse that we all experienced when we were babies is, Mm -hmm. um, I think really, really
0: powerful. Yeah. Like in one of the, um, one of the stories of the book, uh, Perdita, Perdita Finn, she talks about how, you know, she began praying the rosary because she had this intense fear driving around in cars. Like she had uh, this fear that, you know, they were going to crash all the time. And so she asked her husband Clark to teach her how to pray the rosary so that she could hold these beads in her hand. And then she would carry them and they would make her com- like bring her comfort, like just having that thing in your hand. And there, that's something really powerful about that. Like I've taken to more and more just sort of like carrying a rosary around in my pocket and stuff like that after this book. And just like having that to hold on to it's like a fidget spinner but like but like you know like one one that has like you know a long history of like power and 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 comfort you know attached to it and also um you know I feel like a. especially this book has been really, it was really powerful for me too, because I read it while my mom was in hospice and my mom just passed away recently a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, reading a book about the divine mother is just like something that brought a lot of comfort to me throughout this process as well. Um, yeah. So that was, that was like, it was just, it felt divinely timed for me in that way as well. Yeah. And we talk a lot about you know, our relationship with
1: our mothers, our early childhood caregivers, and how that provides like the template really that we have for our relationship with the world and with Mm -hmm. the divine. Yeah, absolutely. So to me, I kind of take that a step further in my own personal practice. And, you know, when I'm working on my relationship with my mother, either in therapy or by reaching out to her, like, I think about that as, like, a way in which I'm healing my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about that every time I see a statue of the Madonna
0: or every time that I pray the rosary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like also this, um, this book highlighted for me uh, something that I realized... And it, it's similar to my relationship with sort of like ancestor veneration about how like I feel like we all go through this process sort of like in our, you know, early adolescence and whatever, where the idea of like venerating like your mother or venerating your ancestors just feels like deeply uncool. You know what I mean? Because like you are in this place of like just, you know, wanting to distinguish yourself from your family and establish your own identity. Um, and it's sort of like, uh, but through after having gone through that, like returning to this stuff has been some of the most powerful work that I've ever done, you know? So, um, like doing ancestor work and stuff like that. And, and now, um, you know, doing this work with the figure of the, of Mary, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think the, um, the book really gives a new perspective on how these, tools and practices and images are relevant to us. Mm -hmm. Um, I love what they wrote about the Hail Mary, which is a prayer that I say every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And they point out towards the start of the book, how it's actually sort of a triform prayer. It has three distinct parts that correspond to the archetype of the maiden, the mother and the Mm crown. So you've got Hail Mary full of grace. The Lord is with thee is the maiden. Um, blessed is the fruit of thy womb Jesus that's the mother the mother i'm getting this wrong in english because I always do it in Latin guys so give me then the, the the holy mary the mother, mother of, God of God pray
0: for us sinners known at the hour of our death which is the crone
1: yep um
0: and and that
1: really that really blew me away yeah I was like what the f- Like I I pray this all the time and I think about, you know, women's bodies and, you know, my own transition from like one stage to the next all the time
0: um, and I never made that. Connection mm-hmm. before. Yeah. And I, f- I feel like, um, you know, I, it, it's a testament to the sort of arrogance that I went into this book with because I was just like, oh, I already know about the divine feminine. And like, I already know how like Mary has pagan roots and stuff like that. Like, I don't have anything more to learn. And it's just like, I learned so much, you know, not just about, I mean, not like besides the stuff that we already mentioned, like the actual, like unpacking of the meanings of the prayers and like, t- you know, um the way that they tie the miraculous metal to like other you know goddess figures and stuff like that was just like really brilliant and so it's just like besides this it being just like really deeply spiritual and moving it's like very well researched and like very well um you know studied and stuff so that was really cool too
1: yeah and in particular if you don't have time to read the whole book I definitely recommend reading the chapter called The Dead Are Right Here because if you're listening to Good Bones, chances are this is going to be right up your alley. Uh, the Dead Are Right Here is a chapter which is all about the traditional use of the rosary in ancestor veneration in Catholic places. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he talks about how often rosaries were created, not just with five decades, which is the form that we usually think of, but with a sixth decade, which was specifically for the dead. Mm -hmm. In my practice, what I like to do when I'm praying the rosary is instead of praying the glory be at the end of the decade, I'll pray the requiem prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how, you know, for me, I tie it back to praying for the dead. Um, but yeah, just talking about like the origins of the prayers that we say now as indulgences with their system of numeric rules for like, okay, if you say this prayer on this day, it's worth this many days yeah. in purgatory, which is like a pretty ridiculous when you think about it. Like, mm-hmm. um, and, but, but that that is a reflection of an older layer of belief in which, people in Catholic countries were highly concerned and and people elsewhere as well with the spiritual being of their deceased forebears of their Mm -hmm. ancestors. Yeah.
0: And I also just like, um, in, in, I, I really liked the focus on, you know, prayer and devotion in this, because I feel like, um, that's something that I've had to come back to as well. Um, I feel like, you know, people kind of look down upon prayer or devotion as like, a like giving away your power to an extent, you know, like, um, putting yourself above, like below certain things. But I think that, you know, p- prayer is like a powerful <laughs> spiritual technology and that one that, you know, I feel like, um, we could stand to have more of, I guess. I feel like um, it's just it says yeah, it's something that people just sort of like poo poo a little bit or like you know it's like it's like when people um, you know uh, will dismissively say thoughts and prayers, you know. And I know that they're spe- speaking to a specific like political phenomenon, and I'm not so. And and their criticism in that case is um, is valid. I'm just saying that like, but people use thoughts and prayers to mean, like, something that's just a platitude that doesn't actually mean anything. And I do believe in the power of prayer. So um, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's
1: a tricky one, because as you and I both know, there's a lot of people out there who say thoughts and prayers, especially politicians who say that in the wake of, like, every disaster that they themselves have a hand in causing. Exactly. And it's, like, just this horrific empty gesture. But on the other hand, You know, I would like. I don't think either of us would ever joke about prayer, yeah, and about like the idea of praying for, you know, praying for us all
0: for for each other. Yeah, just what what I'm trying to get at is, I think that like crappy politicians have like given prayer some negative PR that I would like to (laughs) that I would like to undo. Yeah,
1: that was actually one of our like first interactions was I wanted to start a group me thread. Oh yeah, that's right. For people. And this is like something that folks who are listening might want to try. If you want like a way to start communing spiritually with some of your friends, but you don't have the time to like, found a coven and yeah. start celebrating every new and full moon and equinox date with each yeah. other. Um, try just starting a group thread where you share prayer intentions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you get a message on that thread, just spend a minute, you know, take a moment out of your day to pray for whatever that person is, mm-hmm. is facing right now. And, uh, and, you know, respond to amen once you do it. And it's like a really, really nice way to feel connected with other people. And clearly it worked because we became best
0: friends after that. Yeah, totally. Um, and that, yeah, that actually, uh, brings me back to, um, the title of this segment. Actually, we called it a group of spiritual friends, because one of the things the book emphasizes over and over is that, you know, this, this idea of non-hierarchical spirituality, that like a spiritual group should just be like, a group of equals, like sharing intentions and sharing prayers and sharing, uh, practice together as opposed to like high priestesses and gurus and like that sort of thing. And so, um, I, I'm going to actually share another quote about that because we just like both thought it was like super lovely. You don't need hierarchy to create a spiritual movement. It turns out. And we certainly don't need lots of rules. We don't even need a church. All we need is a rosary, a room to meet in, or a tree to sit under and a group of spiritual friends. That's beautiful. Yeah. I just, that really struck me um, just, you know, because I, you know, I had personally had so many bad experiences with just like shitty power dynamics within spiritual groups and stuff like that. So it just, I think that, that, you know, discussing that and how to, um, and how to move forward and how to, because it's like the, 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 the solution to that is like, oh, we'll just never have spirituality or never have groups or anything like that. Um, it's just like, how can we, um, how can we reshape these to be like liberatory instead of, you know, uh, using them to just reinforce the same power structures that, you know, we came to spiritual like we came to spirituality practice to like get away from, you know? Exactly. It's like, We, you know, it can be fun to go to
1: magical conferences and network with people um, or, you know, some people may get a lot out of working in a formal coven structure. But I feel like sometimes we put structures that resemble the status quo in place because we think that those structures are powerful when Mm -hmm. in reality that's just what the status quo looks like. And the status quo is what's powerful. The status quo is what's reinforcing our so- yeah. itself all the time. Um, and the structures themselves are not actually that effective. They just have a lot of resources put behind them. So mm-hmm. I think that that's something to to keep in mind, that just because something has, you know, the appearance of Uh, resembling academia or resembling government or resembling the, you know, the Catholic church or another like well-established religion. That doesn't necessarily mean that that uh, group or structure or environment has its shit together. It just means that it's trying to look like something that has its shit together. Mm -hmm. And on the contrary, you know, like a spiritual, a group of spiritual friends can be just that some friends hanging out and taking a moment to, um, you
0: know, put their whole heart into praying for one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, you know, it can take a lot of forms. I mean, like it can just, it can literally be a group thread with like you and some people, you know, um, like, or it can be something that meets in person. I think that meeting in person is powerful, but you know, just any sort of group that you can share ideas and share, share practice with is just like really lovely. Um, and, can be just as powerful, if not more powerful than like, you know, sort of a group that has like, you know, set leaders and set rules and set rituals and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. I've also ranted um, about this too before, Vanessa, but like, I I definitely believe that covens are irregular structures. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that they happen organically between, you know, different people at different times and that it's not like, one complete circle that meets regularly so much as like individual connections that exist between people and like a mycelium exactly like like the mycelial network Mm -hmm. um and so you know i might you know i i feel very connected to you Mm -hmm. i feel very connected to uh you know another good friend who you've met but like you two don't complete that triangle right um you've met her but like you two don't have the same type of covening relationship that i have with you and i have with her right so I think that that's like maybe another thing that's worth thinking about as you're reading this book, um, dear listener, uh, is mm-hmm. like, where are your covenanting relationships? Where's your group of spiritual friends already? And, um, you know, how, how might that not look like, you know, a group of people who meet regularly and who have like a Facebook group where you, where you talk yeah. about rules and uh, <laughs> totally. have, have
0: a shared calendar. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Cool. So is there anything else you wanted to say about it?
1: Um, not at the moment. Again, like I highly recommend the book. I think that it is a really, really powerful testament to what a life lived with faith looks like and what spiritual practice can look
0: like. Yeah. I feel like it's an example of like what we're trying to talk, be all about in this podcast. And, and honestly, like following where the threads lead you. Exactly, exactly. And, and
1: as such, it contains like a lot of, it's not just a linear narrative. He has digressions and, um, you know, go, goes down different routes. And, uh, you know, in the end, it's tied all together with the voice of Our Lady, which is, I think, the, you know, the perfect way to sort of tie it all together.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So read the book. It's amazing. Um, I'm so grateful that we found it and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. So that's it. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, this is the last episode of season one. Thank you guys so much for listening, for your comments, for all the people that subscribe to the Patreon. Um, It's been a really amazing experience. Yeah.
1: And I would like to echo that. Thank you all so much for listening, Uh, especially a big thank you to all of our circle of spiritual friends who have joined us in the Good Bones Patreon Um, It's really an honor for us to be able to bring this podcast to you and to have you listen episode after episode and we will be back in the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, In the meantime we will continue releasing bonus content on the Patreon page throughout the year. Um, So you'll at the very least get to hear our Bone Down episodes and (laughs) Q&As and whatever other weird hijinks we
0: happen to get up to over the next couple months. Yeah, totally. So I guess we wanted to talk just like a little bit about how like the experience was for us, you know, like what's changed about us since we started doing this podcast, because um, this was another like doing the podcast was a magical experiment for us, you know. So uh, so this is sort of like our our aftermath of, of that experiment, I guess you could say. Yeah,
1: and I remember the very first episode, because really this was a magical experiment in, like, how do we use our voices and how are we comfortable listening and being heard? Mm -hmm. And I remember very early on in uh, this experience, first of all, when we recorded the first episode, I was like, holy shit, I talk so much. And then I remember you sent me, like, a screenshot once
0: of – in your recording software, what our voices looked like. Yeah, that was so interesting to me. I was like, how a Sagittarius rising talks versus how a Virgo rising talks. Well, a Virgo rising also with four planets in Gemini. Yeah. <laughs> um and spoiler alert, it it visualized how much I talk a lot. <laughs> but honestly, like um, you know, I feel like In the beginning, I was so happy to let you talk. Well, one, because you are always have really awesome shit to say, but also because like I was still really nervous about talking, (laughs) you know, Um, and how did that change as the
1: as the show wore on?
0: Um, I think, yeah, just conquering my fear and putting it out there and, and having people be like, wow, I really like what you said about blah, blah. you know, just not that I require the external validation of other people, but, um, you know, it helps <laughs> obviously. Uh, yeah, you just, um, you know, I, I, I just have always had a lot of, um, just like, you know, self-criticism about feeling like I'm not super well-spoken, even though I I think that I'm smart and that I have interesting things to say, but I just, you know, I'm so used to putting myself out there in the form of like art or music or other things or written things where I can like take the time to really consider what I say. Or with art and music, you can really hide yourself in it. Mm -hmm. And you're very in control with like the parts of yourself that you choose to share. Um, so just having, doing something like this where it's like, you're just, your, your whole ass is just hanging out in this way was, um, really scary for me, but it's been really rewarding. And I'm feeling like I'm, it's given me a lot of confidence to, to share my voice in other ways as well, you know, just like writing stuff and putting it online and writing blog entries and, and that sort of thing. And then I was just like on my friend's podcast the other day, um, which hasn't come out yet, but it will have by the time this is out. But, um, you know, normally like I've had people ask me to come on their podcasts in the past and I like would just freeze up with intense anxiety. Or like there was one time that this guy asked me to come on his podcast and I did and I just like didn't tell anyone because <laughs> I like didn't want anyone to hear it, you know, because I was so embarrassed and like shy about myself and about my knowledge. And I had like imposter syndrome about, you know, whatever. So, you know, it's been, it's been good for me for that.
1: Yeah. This was like the first time you went on somebody else's podcast in what, two, three years? Yeah. Yeah. Um, on, on my side too, even though I am used to talking a lot, I think, um, it still scared me a, a lot because I've been making a transition in my creative work recently away from talking about, uh, Italian folk magic, which is a subject that I know a lot about, but which I'm not, you know, I'm not a native Italian. And like, I don't actually practice those things every day. And so it's something where like, I can always be pointing to somebody else's work and citing another author or citing a teacher and not having to like speak from the depth of my soul towards actually talking about my real spiritual practice Mm -hmm. and how vulnerable that is. And my parents started reading my writing. And I I mean, first of all, they found out about my writing. I, Mallory Vaudoise is a pseudonym. Um, and, uh, you know, when I, when I wrote the book, I told them about it and sent them a copy and, uh, you know, my mother at least read part of it and she listened to the first episode of Good Bones, which is, Whoa, I didn't um, know that she, she did. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. And I like, I never thought, I never thought in a million years that, um, that, you know, they, they'd take the time and I still don't know how much of this, they really understand or what they get out of it or what they think of it. But the fact that they're listening is kind of um, crazy. Hello,
0: Mallory's mom and dad, if you're listening. (laughs) Hey,
1: Patty and Dante. Shout
0: out to Patty, Dante, (laughs) and my little sister, Erica. (laughs) Nice. Cool. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, We also just wanted to talk a little bit about – season two, Um, we're planning to do another round of six episodes we think coming out in the summer. So we wanted to let you know, please let us know like what you wanna hear us talk about. Um, We'll probably pick another book. We don't know what it is yet and then we're you know just playing around with some different ideas for like what what formats we want to work on so please let us know um, we want to make sure that we're giving you guys what you want to hear so reach out to us through the usual channels um, goodbonespodcast at gmail.com or you can leave us a voicemail on anchor FM or join us on the patreon too um, we'll probably be taking some suggestions from our, our patrons and you know we do do a monthly Q a so that's you know another way to have a discussion with us about this stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think the Q&A in particular is a really great resource uh, for folks who, um, you know, have questions about, you know, developing your own spiritual practice. Obviously, we're not experts, we're not gurus, but it can be helpful, especially if you don't have friends that you know in real life who uh, have tried this stuff out before to have someone that you can reach out to and get like a perspective on. And at the very least, you know, get some tips about like, what other great books and resources exist that you can look up um mm-hmm. if even if you know it's not something that we can comment on directly so um personally i think the q a is like an awesome resource um and uh highly recommend
0: joining the patreon just so that you can ask questions yeah, there totally. Yeah, so um, again, I guess I don't know if there's anything else I really need to say about season one, but I just wanted to say thank you all so much again for sharing, for listening, for being with us, and yeah, we hope to see you again in season two. Until next time,
2: live Live well. well. (laughs)